Welcome, everyone. I think we're there. Yes? Coming through? Sounds like it. Yeah, I can hear it. Come back. Yeah. Praise God. Well, uh, uh, it is a, uh, it's an amazing day outside. It's awesome. Compared to the week that we've had, it was kind of iffy all week long. And now we've got some sunshine. It's supposed to be 60 degrees. It uh, felt like spring last week for sure with all this crazy stuff and and uh, even saw some snow again up there on the hills, which is crazy. But hey, God knows what he's doing, even if it floods us. Um, this morning, we're going to continue on in, uh, in Isaiah. And we are making our way through, and uh, we are in chapter 44. And before I begin, it's, uh, uh, I'll have to get on my soapbox a little bit, because this is uh, the, the, the message is the futility of idolatry. Um, you know, God had called in the last portion of our scripture that, that uh, he was calling the idols to, you know, to speak out on, on, on behalf of themselves before him. And uh, it's kind of a legal kind of a terminology that he's using there. And he's reminding his people of something that is so true. And it is so uh, basic, and it is, it's revealing of who he is. And he questions the idols and the idolaters. In this portion of uh, chapter 44, as we've already heard and seen, God challenges the idols, as it were, before his witness, as his witness, this is his people. And uh, in doing so, he is demonstrating the utter futility in their thunderous response of resounding silence, for they cannot respond, for they are non-existent. Just a figment of imaginations. That's what false gods are. Um, and that's, the response was emptiness. There was no response, which is rightly and aptly uh, uh, apropos, because here you have uh, no gods at all, except for the one God, and he's challenging them. In the midst of all these things. And, and idolatry is an amazing thing when you consider it. When you have a God who has made himself so obvious, and we'll read some scriptures that, that tell us that. Um, and in fact, in, uh, in the New Testament, it tells us that there is no one with an excuse. Um, we hear often, you see it on videos, you've, you, maybe you've even talked to some people that uh, insist that there is no God. And, uh, and one of the arguments that they give, the uh, weak arguments, is, well, there's just not enough evidence. And uh, there's just, you know, God just hasn't proved himself to me. And, and it's like, really? But let me see, you believe that everything comes from nothing and that nothing creates everything. And somehow that's how we got to this ordered state that we're in that right now we're in the midst of seeing a civilization, and not just our own country, but throughout the world, where civilization is being torn down and reordered and redefined and all these things. It's crazy where, where we're at. And I'm going to go into some things today um, as we look at this idolatry, because there's a, there, idolatry isn't something that's something of old. It's not relegated to just, you know, uh, I mean, we have this that's up here, this, this horn and the, the thing that it's set there, and, and if a person wanted to, they could make an idol out of that. 
But there's other idols as well. There's the idol of wealth. There's the idol of power. There's the idol of fame. There's the idol of sexual fulfillment. There's, the, there's all kinds of idols that people make. And today we're, we're in a place in our country in particular where a group of people are unfolding this other idolatrous um, ideology. Yes, an ideology can be an idol. Um, the way of thinking about things can be an idol. So there's so many different things that are happening here. So what I want to begin with is, of course, reading. We're going to be reading through 9 through 20. Um, because it's God challenging, and it's really God through the prophet. He's disgracing these idolaters. And some of the things is kind of humorous, um, how God does and put them, puts them in their place. So if you would, read with me from uh, verse, starting in verse 9. You know, right after God has said um, to not be afraid to his people, he says, don't be afraid. Have I not long since announced it to you and declared it? You are my witnesses. So he's challenging these idols and these idolaters. And he's reminding his people that idolatry is not only shameful, as he's going to shame them, but he does so in a manner where he shames them publicly and the idols I'm talking about and the idolaters. And he's reminding his people that it's foolishness. It's utter futility to worship these idols. So starting in verse 9, and he says, Those who fashion a graven image are all of them futile. And their precious things are of no profit. Even their own witnesses fail to see or know, so that they will be put to shame. Who has fashioned a god or cast an idol to no profit? Behold... All his companions will be put to shame, for the craftsmen themselves are mere men. Let them all assemble themselves, let them stand up, let them tremble, let them together be put to shame. The man who shapes iron into a cutting tool and does work over the coals, fashioning it with hammers, working it with his strong arm, he also gets hungry and his strength fails. He drinks no water and becomes weary. Another shapes wood. He extends a measuring line. He outlines it with red chalk. He works it with planes and outlines it with a compass and makes it like the form of a man, like the beauty of man, so that it may sit in a house. Surely he cuts cedars for himself and takes cypress or an oak and raises it for himself among the trees of the forest. He plants a fir and the rain makes it grow. Then uh, it becomes something for a man to burn, so that he takes one of them and warms himself. And also he makes a fire to bake bread. He also makes a god and worships it. He makes it a graven image and falls down before it. Half of it he burns in the fire. Over this half he eats meat and he roasts a roast. And it sat and is satisfied. And he also warms himself and says, Ah, I am warm. I have seen the fire. But the rest of it he makes into a god. 
a graven image, and he falls down before it and worships it. Uh, he also prays to it and says, Deliver me, for thou art my God. <laughs> this is God poking fun at them. They do not know, nor do they understand, for he has smeared over the eyes so that they cannot see, and their hearts so that they cannot comprehend. And no one recalls, nor is there any knowledge or understanding to say, I have burned half of it in the fire, and also have baked bread over its coals. I roast meat and eat. Then I make the rest of it into an abomination. I fall down before a block of wood. <laughs> he feeds on ashes. A deceived heart has turned him aside. And he cannot deliver himself, nor say, Is there not a lie in my right hand? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace and your mercy. Thank you, Lord, that you are the living God, and that you have revealed yourself to people like us, who were formerly just like the people we just read of. We had our own idols and our own gods, of our own understanding and our own um, imaginations, and in the vanity of thereof. Lord, we are so thankful that you have revealed yourself as the living God, the holy God, the righteous God. You've made yourself known. So thankful for your goodness and your grace towards us. You could have left us just wandering in the dark, blind, leading the blind, foolish men of the flesh and of the world. But you interceded on our behalf and you've made us to know you. And so we thank you, Lord, that you uncovered our eyes, that you removed the scales and that you do so for all of those who are yours, and that you will do that for those who will come, because they are yours. We thank you, Lord, for all of these things and more. We pray now, Lord, open up our eyes, ears, minds, and hearts to these truths, so that we may see and we will be illumined, our minds and our hearts, and that we will be transformed by the glory of our God and King, even in Jesus. Lord, we thank you, we praise you, we bless you in Jesus' holy name. Have your way, Lord. Amen. So God begins by poking fun at them and asking those questions and, and demonstrating how foolish that it really is to have all these idols, to have all these things and to, to have all these things happen. Those who fashion a graven image are all of them futile and their precious things are of no profit. Even their own witnesses fail to see or know so that they will be put to shame. You know, one of the things that comes from this, that they're no profit, they're, it's no, of no profit, no benefit to them whatsoever, is the, the fact that God is saying they have an inability to see. When we're lost and we're in our natural state, we have this inability to see the things of God. And it's true. For those of us who have um, committed our lives to Christ and have been regenerated, um, we see and we look back and we go, I can remember that when we were blind to the things of God. We thought we were okay with God. Um, I was so foolish as to think, you know, God's all right with me. He's okay. And, and that's, that's how we are in our natural state because we have this God of our own imagination even when we're thinking about God and we don't think about Him rightly. 
And that's what God is saying here. They're, they're unable to see. It's not just that they're unwilling to see which they are, but they're unable. They're not able to see how foolish and futile it is. And as I was saying earlier, right now we're in the midst of a generation of people who are making new idols or just reviving old ones. I see books that are written that, that have uh, by Christian authors that say the, the old gods of the Old Testament have come back. And when you think of the old gods, Molech, Chemosh, uh, Dagon, all these other foreign gods, really a lot of the things, the sacrificing of children, um, the immorality that was involved in worshiping them and, and so on and so forth, it was all, it's, it's all just happening all over again in spades. We were in a place where an ideology has taken over the world, and it's not just one ideology, but it all stems from the same place. You have the ideology of the godless, lawless Marxists who hate God. And so they want to infiltrate the schools, and they've done it. They've been very successful in doing so. And they have kids so confused that they don't even know that there is a God. They keep the idea of God from them. That's one of the legs, by the way, or one of the uh, portions of the, the Marxist manifesto, if you've ever read it. That's one of the planks that they start from. We have to remove the idea of God from these people. Because as long as they have worship or adoration for something else other than state, then we're never going to win them over. So we have to start with the children. And that's what they're doing. And now it's going younger and younger and younger. I, I mentioned last week that the, new, that the UN has put out this proposition and they want to um, decriminalize a lot of sexual crimes. And they want to normalize relations between young children and adults. They want that for the entire world. The children have always been the targets, and that's why we must protect them. It was no different in this time. These idolaters would, would do that. They begin by grooming the children, and they steal their minds and their hearts, and they turn them away from the parents. Right now, there's, there's this push with the... Um, there's mothers who have banded together and are trying to fight against the, um, the federal or the national um, education um, unions. And the unions are pushing back and fighting. And what are they fighting against? Well, the mothers want to make sure that the schools know and the teachers know that these are their children. These are our children, not yours. But this ideology doesn't allow for that, you see. So they're pushing back and they're trying to find legal means so that they can usurp the desires, the wishes, and the uh, moral constraints that all mothers would have for their children, for the most part, except those who have been indoctrinated with the same junk. And we're in a time where that has become an idol. And you must worship it. You must think this way. You have to go along with it. But it's not enough to just go along with it and approve of it. You have to celebrate it. 
And if you don't, as I've said many times from here, you are the problem. I am the problem. For those who hold a biblical worldview, oh, forget about it. We're the targets. We're the bullseye. They want to rid us of the truth. And it's shameful, and they can't see it. It's horrible. One of the other things, too, I've seen videos of these, um, well, for, I'll call them for what they are, the deviants and the perverts, and these sick people who are grown men pretending to be women who are threatening right now to go get armed with weapons to take out people like us who want to protect children. And it raises an important question. It's like, why are they so now? They don't understand it. They can't, they can't comprehend. But they're basically admitting that they're after the children. You see, once you start really protecting the children, now you've become a problem. And a big, so big of a problem now that, that they don't want to just silence you. They want you out of the way. That's the only way a groomer can procreate. They have to groom children. They have to program them. They have to defile them. And that's what's happening. It's an idolatry that is just horrific, and it's almost unspeakable, but we have to speak of these things. These are the things that are going on. And it's going to take godly men, especially, and godly women, to change these things. Um, they've made, they fashion a god, and in this case it's, or they cast an idol to no profit. Behold, all of his companions will be put to shame, for the craftsmen themselves are mere men. Let them all assemble themselves, and let them stand up, and let them tremble. Let them together be put to shame. He says in verse 11, Behold, all of his companions will be put to shame, for the craftsmen themselves are mere men, let them all assemble themselves, let them stand up, let them tremble, let them together be put to shame. This is the legal sense in which he is calling them to do this. He's saying, in a court of law, let them stand and make their case and let them tremble. Because at the feet or at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And there's going to be trembling. There's not going to be this um, thing that we hear all the time. Well, you know, when, when I die, God's got a few things to answer. It's like, good luck with that. You, you're going to be sorely disappointed, I'm afraid. Um, and it happens all the time. We see this and we hear this all the time. But God is doing things, and I see, I see some outward workings of God in, in, in the way that He's working in people in, in different ways, and it's, it's, uh, it's amazing. But he's, he's doing this. He's calling them the, to, uh, to come against them. And he's doing it in the, in the presence of his people. Why? Because it's a reminder. It's a reminder what he has said, that there is no other God besides him. Right? And that's what he's, his biggest point is. And he says, when he says, you are my witnesses, what he's saying is, he's like, you have been taken out of Egypt, as Chris was saying earlier. And like I said, when we were in our overview of, of Leviticus, when you start Leviticus, it's been said that it took one night for God to take His people out of Egypt, but it took 40 years to take 
Egypt out of the people. They were still in that state. That's all that they had known. And as we said on, on, on Wednesday night, it was for over 400 years that they were stuck there. And that's what was predicted in Genesis chapter 15. They're going to be there for this long and this is what's going to take place. And so God is reminding them and he goes back to Egypt because he's trying to remind them, remember all the things that happened. Remember all the plagues and the plagues that I kept you from. Remember leaving Egypt and going through the Red Sea and parting the seas and doing what I did there. Remember that I went before you in the heat of the day in the wilderness in a pillar of cloud. And at night I was in a pillar of fire. The fire served two purposes. Two purposes. So that they could see at night and witness that he's there with them. And also to fend off any foe. To remind them... And I am God, and I'm the God of my people, and I'm a consuming fire. He reminded the world of that, and they are his witnesses. And so he's saying, in the midst of those witnesses, you've seen all this stuff, but now he has to go into this, this, uh, um, this teaching here that, that, and shame the people that make these idols, because he says they're, they're nothing, and that's one of the things and one of the reasons why we here at Calvary reject the idea of evolution. Why do we reject the idea of evolution? Well, because you reduce the creator to nothing. And then you say everything that comes from that and you worship that. And that's what kids are taught in school. They're taught this idea and they say, well, there's no, you know, the, they're the same people that will say there's no evidence for God. Well, where's your evidence for evolution? You know, why aren't there any monkey elephants or any fish donkeys or anything like that? Why? Why is it all of a sudden stopped? Well, we just, you know, it ain't real. It's fake. It's all fake. It's all a made-up story because they don't want to, and we were in the same position. I don't, wanna, I don't want to um, remove us from that guilt in our natural state. We don't want to submit to God. And subject ourselves to the idea that one day we will have to face an answer. And that's what they're doing. And so they make up this story. And we've, we've all seen it. And at least most of us have. You see these textbooks that are made with all these pictures of these progressions. All fake. It's been proven over and over again. But they just keep doing it. Why? Because we allow it. And we don't teach our kids any different. We don't challenge their thinking. We don't challenge their minds. Instead of giving them lectures, we should be asking them questions. How do you come about to this from that point? How does nothing create everything? How does a spark, where did the spark come from? From nothing that sparked into nothing, and then all of a sudden there's everything, and it springs forth. And then you get into the physics of it. There's so many things, so many ways that you can demonstrate that, no, it's not possible. It's absurd to even think of it. And so what they've done is not only have they rejected the idea of God, they reject the idea of God who is very present in his own creation. And now they want to worship nothing or they want to worship the opposite. And they've turned everything on its head. He says in verse 12, he says, The man shapes iron into a cutting tool and does his work over the coals. 
fashioning it with hammers and working it with his strong arm. He also gets hungry and his strength fails and he drinks no water and becomes weary. What is he saying here? He's going to go down this list. It says before they can have an idol, they have to have somebody who can work with iron. Somebody who knows how to work with steel. And he has to make tools before you can get to the guy who's going to be the sculptor. And I've seen some amazing sculptures. I've seen some guys with amazing talents. But they don't start with just being able to do that. It starts with somebody who has to make the tools in order to do so. I watched a video just the other day of a, of a guy that had an old, he was re- renovating an old, uh, an old building and they had a certain kind of a crown mold that they have that nobody makes anymore. And so he made a little model of it. He, he put it out, a little template, and then he drew it out on steel And then he had to cut the knives, and then he has to sharpen the knives, and that way he can make the same kind of a deal. That's the idea. You have a guy that's got it, and before you can even cut to that, get to that that knife that will cut that shape, there has to be somebody that makes the steel so that he can do that. It's a process, and that's what he's, he's exposing here. He says, the man shapes all the irons and the cutting tools and does all this work, but he gets hungry. He's, he's dependent on something, and even he is dependent upon getting the, the miners who mine the ores and the different things in order to make metal. You get the hint of what God is saying? Everything you need in order to get to this idol comes from me. It all starts with me. And yet, you continue on in your foolishness. It's futile. Verse 13, he says, another shapes wood. He extends a measuring line. He outlines it with red chalk. He works it with planes and outlines it with a compass and makes it like the form of a man, like the beauty of man, so that it may sit in a house. So you get the idea of what he's saying here. Even that is he is dependent on what God supplies, what the Creator has made. And... He won't worship the true God, but he'll make this stuff. And listen, it's, it's not only that. What he says now is even more ridiculous. He says, surely he cuts a cedar for himself and takes a cypress or an oak and raises it for himself. Like, he plants the wood to begin with so that he could grow it so that he could have a God. In part. He's only going to use part of it as the idol. The rest of it, he's going to use it in order to cook, to keep warm. He makes this ridiculous statement here about how they go about this. And notice the mindlessness with which they do this. Idolatry and sin is irrational. It doesn't make sense. But it's what we're all programmed, pre-programmed to do. It's that one thing that none of us can overcome. There's no way that we can because we're infected with this from conception because our parents were. And if you go back far enough, you'll get to Adam and Eve where it all started. It says he surely, in verse 14, he surely cuts the cedars for himself, takes a cypress or an oak and raises it for himself among the trees of the forest. He plants a fir and the rain makes it grow. 
Then it comes, becomes something for a man to burn, so that he takes one of them and warms himself. He also makes a fire to bake bread. He also makes a god and worships it. Same tree. He uses part of it to make his idol, and the rest of it he uses for just utility. He's just going to burn it. And we cannot see in our natural state how foolish and futile that is. We make idols of everything. Like I said earlier, there's all different kinds of things. And right now we're in the midst of, a, of an idolatry, of an ideology that's godless and lawless. It's vile, it's immoral, and it's an abomination to God. And you see it unfolding and you see more and more people. One of the things that, uh, um, that I think some pastors have to... Um, repent of are those that, that grasped onto, latched onto this idea of people who had same, they, as they said, I never spoke it from here because I refused to use the language of the world. Because the same ideology that brought us the idea of same-sex attraction, that same ideology, that same group of people, the alphabet mafia, they're the same group and the same spirit that's now wanting to rephrase pedophilia and call it something totally different, innocuous, minor attracted person. It's the same ideology. And I only have one question for those pastors who grasped onto the idea of, well, it's okay if they're they're attracted to the same sex. That's okay. That's not a sin. I say differently because I believe what Jesus says in Matthew where he says, it's not what you put in your mouth that defiles you. It's what comes out of your mouth that defiles you because what comes out of your mouth comes from your heart. And so therefore it is sinful because what is in the heart? Is the heart good? Is the heart righteous? Is the heart perfect? Is the heart holy? Is the heart any good? Not according to Scripture. He says that's where it comes from, in our lost state. That's why we need Jesus. That's why we need God. That's why we need Him to intercede on our behalf, because of those things. And so the thing that I'm getting to with, with this minor attracted person nonsense, so those pastors have to answer this question. That's just their proclivities. And you can't say that it's wrong because you've already said that it's okay to be attracted but not act on it. The enemy is wise. He uses all kinds of deception. He's pretty smart at that. He's only been at it for thousands of years. He should know a thing or two. And that's one of the reasons why I never latched onto it. And there was, there was something that was bugging me about the whole idea. And I'm like, mm, no. That's why I, call, I don't call abortion abortion. I call it murder. It's execution. That's why we call it, you know, all kinds of sexual immorality sexual immorality. Because it's immoral. God has said no. And we're not to be like that as believers. We're to hold firm to the word of God. And not back down. And that's going to cost us. It's going to cost us. It's going to cost you at some point in time. But we have to determine today that we're not going to budge from it. 
that we will continue on. Because as God goes on, He says here in the other part of verse 15, He says, He makes it into a graven image and falls down before it. Half of it He's burnt, used it for cooking and all that stuff. Now He says, half of it, the other half, you're making an idol and you're falling down before it to worship it. You made it. And notice, he says, half of it he burns, in verse 16, in the fire. Over this half he eats meat and roasts a roast. And is satisfied and also warms himself. And says, aha, I'm warm. I've seen the fire. That's a good thing. God gave us wood and things like that for this purpose. Nothing wrong with that. The problem is, verse 18, they do not know. Nor do they understand, for he has smeared over their eyes. Now notice that. He has smeared over their eyes. This corresponds to something in the New Testament that we'll get to in a minute. He smeared over their eyes so that they cannot see, and their hearts so that they cannot comprehend. Paul spoke rightly in Romans when he wrote what he did. But we have to understand that God is sovereign. And that was the last thing, one of the last things that we read about last week was that God is sovereign in everything that He does. He's sovereign in choosing. He's sovereign in saving. He's sovereign in everything. He's the sovereign King of all those things. He is the King of election. He is. And He determines. I watched a video the other day with another Christian who just has a problem doesn't have a problem with being able to choose his own bride, but he has a problem with God choosing his own bride. And I find that puzzling. It's like, why do you have such a problem with God if he says, I will elect only some? When he could say, I will elect absolutely none. Because no one is worthy. Because no one deserves it. Because no one should get my mercy. But that's not what his mercy is about. Because he's merciful, he says, I will save. I'll save some of the worst of you because I can. I'll save some of the worst of you because I can. And because that's who I am. That's what his love is truly all about. So he's, 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 he's talking about the foolishness of it and how... how Idiot, idiotic that it is when he says in verse 17, he says, but the rest of it they make into a God, his graven image. He falls down before it and worships it. He also prays to it and says, deliver me for thou art my God. That's like, again, coming up to this thing that's dead and worshiping it and expecting it to answer you. How foolish is that? What are the chances of that actually happening. They're better off to worship a tree. At least it has some kind of life instead of chopping it down and then using it for fire where it's dead. They have a better chance of it responding. And even that chance is zero. It's not going to do it, right? So he's making them understand how foolish that it truly is. I have to sit and wonder how many of them had been idolaters in that time and were thinking about this. Man, I never thought about that. And if they did, it was only because God opened up their minds 
so that they would understand. Because otherwise they were just, well, all the other people do it. All the other nations around us have their own gods. We have our own God. Only God can do it. He smears over their eyes so that they cannot. And then verse 19, And no one recalls, nor is there knowledge or understanding to say, I have burned half of it in the tree or in the fire and also have baked bread over its coals. I roast meat and eat it. Then I make the rest of it into an abomination. Now notice that word. It's carefully chosen. That's how God sees it. It's an abomination. And there are many things that are an abomination to God because He is holy. These are an abomination to Him. And the ideology of today is the same. It's an abomination. Where people can just redefine what creation is. The created order. You see these sad, laughable videos of these people who insist that men can have babies. Men can menstruate. And all the likes is like, it's just like, no, no, it's not possible. It, it can't happen. And how many of them have taken on this moniker of they, them? There is they, them in the scriptures. There is they, them in the scriptures. And they were possessing certain people. And they identified as such. We're legion. We're them. We're they. Right? This is the doctrine of demons. Paul warned about this. He warned about it in Timothy. He said in the last days, this is what's going to happen. And doctrines of demons, he said, are going to permeate everything. But he wasn't just talking about the world. He's talking about the church. He's talking about the body of believers worldwide. And right now, you have this working itself out. There are certain people who are pastors in certain big, big churches that have thousands of people that come every week. Or at least they have thousands and thousands of people in their roles. And they've given them, themselves over to the idea of wokeism. It's another idol. It's just Marxism repainted, called something different. It's so that you see everything through the eyes of color. And if you're a certain color, then you're the problem. And if you're a person that's not that color, then you're owed everything. So you can go into a Walmart and trash it and steal and rob righteously because you are owed that. Somebody owes it to you. So you just go in there and you just get that 60-inch TV, that 80-inch TV, because somebody owes it to you. Because your great-great-great-grandparents were enslaved at one time. You've never tasted that. You've never known that. But yet somehow you're owed that. It's an idol. It's idolatry. That's all it is. They're worshiping at a different altar. And it's not the altar of God. It's not the altar of His Son. And then He says, finally, He says, they, 
they, they do this, they fall down and they worship it. They fall down before a block of wood. He says in verse 19, No one recalls nor is their knowledge or understanding to say, I have burned half of it in the fire and also have baked bread over its coals. I roast meat and eat it. Then I make the rest of it into an abomination. I fall down before a block of wood. He feeds on ashes. A deceived heart has turned aside. And he cannot deliver himself nor say, is there not a lie in my right hand? In other words, he's saying, you can't save yourself from this. You can't identify what you're doing. You can't say what is right. And that's what's going on today. That's exactly what's happening in our world. There's a hate of the truth. Because the truth, to those who do not love it, sounds like hate when you give them the truth. They don't love the truth. They hate it. So when you tell them, well, it says in Genesis 2, Genesis 1, that God created them, the proper them, not one person trying to claim that they're multiples, but he created them, male and female, in the image, his image. I want to read what it says here. There's a, there's a different kind of idol today, and, and it's an idol of ideologies and technologies also. I haven't spent a lot of time talking about transhumanism, but it is a thing. And it is a n new idea that... These people want to connect their consciousness to technologies. And in doing so, they want to proclaim themselves God and immortal and eternal. Because they believe that, see, if I collect my consciousness and connect it to a technology that can store it in a cloud, then it'll be there forever. There's only one problem that they've never thought through. One day Jesus is going to come. One day he's coming back and all that stuff is going to be... What does Peter say? It's going to be burnt like fire. The very elements themselves are going to burn up like smoke. It's not going to last. But yet you have these people that are doing that and that's part of what transgenderism is. It's part of the whole transhumanism thing. It's the idea that, well, see, we've, we've evolved. So there is no God, so we can, we can become whatever we want. And the horrible thing is, the victims are children. I'm hearing more and more and more stories of young women who went in as a teenager, who allowed a doctor to talk her into it. And they've cut off and mutilated these poor women and given them drugs so that they can't have babies. And then when they're adults, they're going, I was wrong. I was foolish. I should have never listened to them. There's some doctors that need to go to prison. There's some doctors that need to be executed because they're guilty of killing these people. All for the sake of money. I mean, that's just the truth of it. I'm speaking plain truth here. 
And they're doing this and they're targeting children. One person, that, one guy that I, that I was listening to, he, he transitioned himself way back when. And now he says, I am in pain continually. They've mutilated my body and they gave me all these things. And I'm stuck having to go to the doctor for the rest of my life and spending millions upon millions of dollars because of what they've done. But at least he's taking ownership. And he's saying, I did this. But the fact that doctors who are supposed to protect people from, who are supposed to start with do no harm, are doing just the opposite. How are they getting away with it? Why are whole hospitals that have whole floors that are dedicated to this? They're castrating young men, boys, by giving them drugs that are meant to castrate rapists. It's a cancer medicine. We have idols, demonic idols, doctrines of demons. And there are some churches that push this. They have their pride flags all over their church property. Pride is the ultimate sin. They're proud that they support and affirm these things. They're not churches. They're not the churches of Christ anyways. They've long since become apostate. The lie, the conclusion is idolatry is a deception. It's a hoax. And that's what it is. And that's why it's so important that we tell people there is a different kind of idol. It's an idol, uh, idol of ideologies and technologies where people can trans-identify as whatever they fancy or upload their consciousness to some cloud and thereby become immortal, live forever in their thoughts and evolve into some type of deity themselves. They believe that they'll become gods. They've said so. Doing so will become like God. How many of you remember the, uh, the, uh, um, the book by Mary Shelley? Frankenstein. How many of you remember the old original movie with, uh, um, what was the, uh, Boris Karloff? I was watching that yesterday. And there was a scene from that movie where he takes this dead body and he's pieced it all together and, and he's just so incensed with this idea or so, so enlivened with this idea that he can be like God. And he slowly raises that dead body, that butchered up, put back together body of all these supposed different body parts from, from the grave. And he says so. I went and dug up the graves and we took all these body parts and I made this. And he puts it and they take it up through the roof in a lightning storm. You know what they're mimicking there? Evolution. Because it was a spark that started it all. And then they bring them down slowly. And there's this thing laying on the, on the bed. And they bring it down. And then all of a sudden you, you see it just laying there, his hand, and then a finger moves and and the hand starts moving. 
And Dr. Frankenstein just exclaims, it's, it's alive. It's, it's alive. It's alive. One thing that I didn't know as I was watching that was a little bit further in that scene. He says, now I know what it feels like to be God. I did not know that. I don't remember that scene until I saw it. But it made sense. Idolatry. It goes back to the first lie. The first lie that was told to Eve. Oh yeah, if you take that tree, God hasn't said anything about that. Come on. If you take it, you'll be like God. There's a whole religion around us that believe that lie. If they just do the right thing, they just do enough, they're going to be like God. They'll have their own planet. It'll be named after them. The planet idiocracy, lunacy, demonology. It's going to be, they're, they're, they're deceived, they can't see. And we're the ones that God uses to help them to see. Just like He does so in us, He caused us to see. At one point in time, for those who are in Christ, He opened up our hearts and minds and said, I'm God and there is no other. And we responded in like manner, saying, you're right, you are and I'm not. And he saves us. Jeremiah 10, um, 3 through 10, it reads this. I'll read it very quickly. Jeremiah 10, he says, For the customs of the peoples are delusions, because it is wood cut from the forest. The work of hands of a craftsman with a cutting tool. Sounds a lot like Isaiah. He says, They decorate it with silver and with gold and fasten it with nails and with hammers so that it will not totter. Now that's not talking about a Christmas tree. As a lot of people, sometimes legalists, will do. Say, see, if you have a Christmas tree, you're, you're, you're just having an idol in your house. It's like, no, he's talking about the fact that, hey, there's cutting tools. What have they done? Exactly what Isaiah, what God says that they've done. They've cut a tree and they've made an idol and they nailed it so that it didn't topple over. Because their poor little God has no balance. He can't stand upright. So they have to nail him down. Today we would use six-inch screws and hold it down so that it doesn't topple. Um, he says, They decorate it with silver and gold. They fasten it with nails and hammers so that it will not totter. Like a scarecrow in a cucumber field are they. And they cannot speak. They must be carried. Imagine that. Here's my God. You know, when we went through the... Um, um, what was it that the, uh, 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 gosh, I can't think of it right now. The, the Dead Sea Scrolls, when we went to that museum, and they had it at the museum there in Salt Lake, we saw all these little idols. They would carry their little god with them. Their little G-god. Because he's mighty and powerful, and they need him in order to be saved. He says that they must be carried, but they cannot walk. Do not fear them, for they can do no harm, nor can they do any good. They don't exist. He says, there's none like you, O Lord. You are great, and great is your name and might. Who would not fear you, O King of the nations? Indeed, it is your due. 
For among all the wise men of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is none like you. Hallelujah. But they are altogether stupid and foolish. In their discipline of delusion, their idol is wood. Beaten silver is brought from Tarshish and gold from Uphaz. And work, the work of a craftsman in the hands of a goldsmith. Violet and purple are their clothing. They are all the work of skilled men. But Yahweh is the true God. He is the living God, the everlasting King. At His wrath, uh, the earth quakes and the nations cannot endure His indignation. Paul states this in the book of Romans. He says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. It's one thing that we need to drive home to people when they say, well, I don't believe in God. Yes, you do. Be rude and just say, no, 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 that's not true. You do. You just deny him. I've said that before. I mean, called some choice words. Right? Arrogant. How dare you? It was true. If what Paul is saying here is true, and he's really kind of leaning back on the Old Testament, he's saying it's evident to them. God made it evident to them. If God is our creator, he made it evident that there is a God in every single person that ever has been, that is now, or that ever will be. It is evident, even in those who deny his existence. And he says, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, so it can't be seen, but they're attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. Wait a minute, Paul, I thought you just said they were invisible. You see what he's doing here? He's brilliant. Saying it's invisible, but it's right before your eyes. In other words, there's no escaping it. You cannot deny God. You can if you wish, but you know that there is a God. He says, it is, they have been clearly seen being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image of the form of corruptible man. Sounds like he was reading right out of Isaiah, because we just read that. They make these idols in the form of man, in the beauty of man, God says. And Paul is, is reaffirming this. That's what they do. It's an incorruptible, um, the glory of the incorruptible God for an image of the form of corruptible man. Is man corruptible? Just offer him enough money and you'll see. They'll do just about anything. We will do just about anything. It's horrible. But that's the way that we are. Um, And then it says, And they also made it of birds and four-footed creatures or animals and crawling creatures. Therefore God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. What's the truth of God? God created. God is God. There is no other. God is holy. We are not. What's the lie? 
There is no God. I can be whatever I want to be. Um, and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function of that which is unnatural. And in the same way also, the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful, sounds like wokeism to me. And, also, and although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, this is the New Testament, this is not the Old Testament. This is Paul having an understanding of who God is. He says they practice, those who practice such things are worthy of death. They not only do the same, but give hearty approval to those who practice them. And Paul calls the sacrificing of foods and the things like that in his time, he says it's just really practicing a sacrifice to demons. Same thing as the Old Testament. It hadn't changed. I want to finish with this. What is, what is the application? What is our mindset? How should it be? Well, it should be this. And Psalm 15, I thought, summed it up really well. It goes as this. It says, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. Because of your loving kindness, your chesed, because of your truth, why should the nation say, where now is their God? But our God is in the heavens. He does whatever He pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of man's hands. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. They have eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. They have noses, but they cannot smell. They have hands, but they cannot feel. They have feet, but they cannot walk. They cannot make a sound with their throat. Those who make... Them will become like them. Everyone who trusts in them. And then the psalmist says this, O Israel, trust in Yahweh. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in Yahweh. He is their help and their shield. You who fear Yahweh, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord. The small together with the great. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May the Lord be blessed. May you be blessed of the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. The heavens are the heavens of Yahweh. But the earth he has given to the sons of men. 
The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. But as for us, we will bless the Lord. For this time forth and forever, praise the Lord, or hallelujah. That should be our mindset. That there is no other God, we know that. And that there will never ever be another God. And that the God that we worship has always been God. And there's never been a time in all eternity where he was not God. He's always been God. He always will be God. He is God now. And we can worship him and we can know him and we can seek him. You know why? Because he allows it. Because he makes it possible. In fact, he made it an assurance when he sent his son that we could seek him. Idolatry is on the rise. Demon practices on the rise. There's all kinds of demonic stuff that's going on around us. That's why we need to stand firm. Stand firm in the faith. Because what does the Bible tell us? Subject yourself to God. Stand firm against the enemy. And he will what? says he must flee. That doesn't mean he's not going to come against us. That doesn't mean that he's not going to oppress. That doesn't mean that he's going to do those things. It means we have to trust God and say, all right. You have to be like Popeye. You know, Popeye, when he found himself in trouble, he'd reach into one of his pockets and pull out that spinach. The Holy Spirit is our spinach. We have to lean on Him in those moments and say, devil, we're standing against you in Jesus' name. We will not allow this. And even if I perish, I perish. My God is God, and I'm going to trust that. We don't have idols. We have a living God. Let us tell the people around us there's a God who saves. His name is Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and grace. Thank you for your son. Thank you that he came and that he did all that was prophesied. And that he lived that perfect life. Thank you for the incarnate son of God who lived a life that we could never live and died a death that he didn't deserve but took our place. Thank you for that great exchange. Thank you for being satisfied with his propitiatory sacrifice on behalf of sinners like us. Thank you for all that you have spoken and all that will come, for all that you have promised that we can just grasp onto. And I thank you, Lord, most of all, that it's not our grasping onto those promises or onto you that keeps us, but you have grasped onto us and none can remove us or take us and snatch us out of your hand. We praise you, Lord. We thank you that it is finished, that it was successful, that the victorious one went to the grave, but it couldn't hold him, and that on the third day he rose again and he ascended into heaven where he belongs, and he will one day return and we will see him with our own eyes. 
coming with the thousands upon thousands and the myriads and myriads of not only the angels, but those who have gone before. Thank you for your graciousness. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for these truths. Thank you that we can know you. Thank you for everything in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen.
Father, you are the Lord of heaven and earth. You're enthroned in the heavens, as your word says, and the heavens cannot contain you. You're so much bigger than anything that we can even imagine. What a glorious God that you are. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your salvation. Thank you that you have not smeared our minds and our eyes so that we cannot see or cannot come to him, but that you've opened them up to the truth. There is a God who loves. There's a God who saves. There's a God who is holy and righteous and good. That you are just. That you are also merciful and kind. And your loving kindness, your chesed, is everlasting. What a glorious God that you are. Lord, we thank you, we praise you, we bless you. For you are so good. Use us, Lord, for your name's sake. Use us for your kingdom's sake. Send us, Lord, empowered, emboldened, and able and then filled with your Holy Spirit. And let us operate in the powers thereof and the gifts thereof. Lord, thank you for everything. For you are our God and King. We praise you, we thank you. Even if we can't see you, we know that you are. For you've made it evident to us. We praise you, we thank you, we bless you in Jesus' holy name. Amen.